Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, brought to you by Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Here on Sketch Nerds, we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we're going to be discussing sketches from Mad TV and Saturday Night Live. You can find information about this podcast, as well as the sketches we are going to be discussing at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Joining me, as always, are Seth Alcorn and Julian Morgan. I'm Andy Weld, and today we are happy to have on as a guest, Sean Robinson. Sean, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Sean, can you talk to us about your background in comedy? I think it's very self-appointed, but um, in addition to being just a general clown, I um, would uh, write sketches for my law school's uh, musical theater review, the the law review. Um, after that, really just kind of being a general doofus, and uh, I found you guys on DCist back when that thing was still a thing. It is coming back. Ooh. Uh, it may be back by the time this goes live. It oh, okay. has been uh, bought and is going live again. Now, what is the funniest thing about law school? The funniest thing about law school, I think. Or the law in general. Well, I mean, I think the funniest thing about law school is that when you have first years who they get their first lesson that they really understand and they start talking about it like they're experts, which, you know, that works when you go home for Thanksgiving and you want to brag that you now understand Brown v. Board in a very esoteric way. But when you're talking about that in the cafeteria or whatever coffee house around the corner from campus, and you're a second or third year and you overhear that, you're just like, wow, I don't know what's worse, that you miss the point or that you're so proud of the fact that you're missing the point. That's hilarious. That is definitely <laughs> the funniest part of law school. <laughs> it's a lot of crying in the fetal position in the corner. Otherwise, we so, need to take what we can get. That's much funnier. <laughs> just self-important people but, making fun of self-important people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know anything. I'm so much better than him. <laughs> I'm actually, you know, I, I went to a, a, a Georgetown Law Review once, and it was just, uh, you know, it was just a bunch of people having fun on stage with legal jokes. Yeah, they tend to be like either legal jokes or about the school community mm-hmm. or about the city or sometimes just the law in general, whatever politics are happening. My school, NYU, is unique in that whereas most law reviews will be a variety show alternating back and forth between sketches and musical numbers, ours would be would integrate sketches and musical numbers and would have a cohesive plot that would run across the whole show with a horrible law pun like Aladdin or Back to the Nuture and the Furminator. <laughs> I'm just. I, I've got the T-shirts to prove it. Uh, I, I, w- I was going to say that the uh, the Georgetown Law Review I uh, I saw featured a, a delightful little number called "Is Stop It Like It's Hot." Yeah. So uh, there we go. I think it's time to move on to one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sean, can you set up this first clip for us? Sure. So this is a Mad TV sketch called Real Motherfucking Talk. Ari Spears plays Dollar Bill Montgomery, who's a very ghetto hood type who is trying to have a talk show to talk about serious issues. He brings on a lot of his friends, co-workers, distant relatives who are from the same vein, as well as a token white person. And the gist of the show is that he's trying to talk about a serious issue. His friends really miss the point or confuse the issue with something else. And the white person desperate to fit in, uh, basically either shows a complete lack of knowledge of black culture or says something so patently offensive that Dollar Bill and the other guests gang up on him by the end of the episode. 
All right, well, here's a clip. Now, my first guest is NBC's must-see men's room attendant, Calvin Mudflap Clark. No, man. No, DB, check it, man. I got picked up by the diversity training program. You looking at an NBC executive, huh? In charge of what? Executive bathroom. <laughs> Suddenly, affirmative action seems real f***ed up to me. All right, Sean, now why did you bring that sketch to us today? Well, so I was looking at what you guys have done before, and I know that there was a pressure to bring in something from some of the other uh, sketch uh, shows that are out there. And Mad TV is one that I've I've loved since I was a kid. When it was great, it was fantastic. When it when it wasn't, it was pretty bad. But I thought it it did a much better job than a lot of the other shows that were out there at the time about really playing with race and making full use of its black cast. And the way that it really subverts thoughts about race, I thought was just so, so fun. And the way it makes people really uncomfortable. I think even just talking to you about it in our downtime is sort of made you uncomfortable. So I'm looking forward to hearing about how aspects of this sketch can be patently racist from a, a certain point of view. It seems like a shot across the bow. <laughs> uh, but before we get into all that fun stuff, let's talk a bit of the logistics of the sketch. Julian, this sketch is seven and a half minutes long. Is it too long? Well, that's that's the thing about talk show sketches and game show sketches is that they they are they're inherently long because they have so many characters. Um, so like to just to introduce the characters takes like a, like a, like a minute and a half or something like that. So like you're always gonna have anytime you have a, um, a talk show or a game show sketch, it's always gonna be kind of long, you know. And so and d- does it work to uh, this sketch's detriment? I don't think so. I think it builds in like a, a a natural way where like I don't feel like I'm watching something for like four hours, you know, where some sketches feel like they're just like three days long or something like that, because it's because it's the pacing is so fast that. They kind of just lose sight of that. I think I felt that it it treaded water for a while until the um, the white guest was introduced. I thought it went on for a while. I think it's maybe almost three minutes until um, what's his name, Michael McDonald. Yeah, that's the singer, but maybe also the actor <laughs> um, was also introduced. And I, I I thought it I thought it dragged a little bit up to that point. Um, but they were doing a lot with character work in that stretch. Um, that was happening there. Yeah, I think I think I think also what they were trying to do is just set up that 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 huge difference between the black characters and the white character. They were just establishing that, and then like and then once the white character comes in, it's like it's a shock when he comes in. Like I I had never I'd never seen the sketch before, so like it was like I, it was actually kind of shocking for me. I was like, whoa, like a white guy, and he's like a really like just token white guy, like super white, yeah, token white, like. <laughs> Thurston Howell levels of, of from whiteness. Cleveland. From white. Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> but I think he has a turtleneck on in the sketch. Yeah, I think he Along might. With the uh, the navy blazer. Yeah, it's good. It, excellent sartorial choices, really capturing the uh, the whiteness. Yeah, there. Was, I think yes. there was some Wonder Bread in the pockets. Yes. So like a kerchief or something. Right. That's fair. Yeah. It just. I think he he probably just was uh, moisturizing with mayonnaise or something like that. Just yeah. something. Yeah. All right, Sean. Let's get back to what you. Uh, you shot at me before? <laughs> All right. Um, there are two black guests on the show initially, and the host is black as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, those characters didn't move past being clunky stereotypes. It was the sense I got of those characters. Should they have been given more depth 
And kind of conversely, does the kind of big view stereotype that they were undercut at all the point that they're making when Michael McDonald's character becomes or comes out as being so racist? I don't think so. I think that's where Dollar Bill, Ari Spears' job plays in. He's the more developed character. He's not just the moderator of the talk show. He's the racial moderator. He's trying to pull the other black guests up to have a serious talk about issues as well as bring a little bit more, I guess, academic thought with from the white guest. And in a way, he's trying to bring the white guest down, bring the black guest up. And the the joke is that the black guests are failing so much that they ultimately pull Dollar Bill down. And as much as he resists, they're extremely successful bringing the white token guest down. And it's the white token guest coming so far down that he he crosses racial lines and that causes Dollar Bill to revert to sort of this very defensive tribal, oh no, you're not you're not going to talk this way about my community, whether it's a um, intentional insult or if it's, this is not something that you can say, these are not your words. And at that point, it's, I'm not trying to bridge this anymore. At this point, it's, uh, I'm taking you out. Tribal seems like a dangerous word to use there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I guess... The way that I saw it was that because those characters fed into the stereotypes that racist whites have of black people, it makes Michael McDonald's character less effective because everyone in the sketch becomes a stereotype, except for Aries Spears. Well, I suppose, but I think the thing is that both Aries Spears and Michael McDonald get frustrated by those guests. And I think... Ari Spears reacting to them, being frustrated by them, shows that this isn't just a black stereotype, but that these are characters that can exist and that there's some level of only in the neighborhood. Um, and I don't mean that in sort of a, just like a black neighborhood, but like in the sense of every community has its characters. And so he's bringing in the characters from his community. And it's sort of like a, only in my life can you have, you know, folks like this that behave this way and they're so comfortable. But, so Ari Spears' frustration, I think, reflects that this isn't just a naked stereotype. But part of the joke is that Michael McDonald does seem to buy into that assumption that he thinks that these are stereotypes and he can treat them as such. And by trying to play into those stereotypes is when Dollar Bill all of a sudden responds to him even more harshly with a don't treat my friends like this. You don't know them. You don't know what you're talking about. And I'm going to stop you from saying anything more before you offend me or make some kind of remark that cuts me down individually. I think that's a good point. I think the the role that Aries Spears plays is is pretty critical. Seth, what did you think? Yeah, well, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit, and it occurs to me that it, uh, one of the big jokes, um, not only in this iteration of this sketch, uh, or, but also one, Sean, that you were describing to us, is that Dollar Bill's black guests are often unaware of the topics that he's trying to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think really, I mean, really what that does maybe is highlight the disconnect between what media shows and maybe what like the black community cares about, you know, it's like, okay, so why, you know, why, why are they, why would they care about the Emmys? Why would they care about Enron in that other sketch that, that you mentioned? Right. And it's interesting because that's, that's actually the first thing that comes out of Michael McDonald's mouth is he's trying to make a genuine, significant point about how, the African-American population makes up this solid chunk of the general population, but only a infinitesimally small percentage make up the leading members of casts on television television shows. Yeah. And 
he gets stuck trying to say African-American, and that's where he really falls into the white tokenism. Um, but it's that same point of he's trying to highlight a very special academic moment that shows this disconnect that what Aries Spears is bringing his guests to the table for is something that doesn't matter to them, to that they don't understand. So the sketch I'm, I offered is the Emmy-nominating special. Right. And they want to nominate shows that aren't nominated and the ones that are ones they've never seen. Right. This next question I uh, comes from my background in African history. Uh, I majored in African history because I don't understand how the job market works. Uh, that's my canned joke that I use when I'm introducing myself to people. He, he's not the only one who took majors that don't have jobs. We've gone into your Irish history background, Irish studies background. Thank you. Let Thank you very much. This. Yes. Wow. The joke is I took both African-American and Irish classes in college. Well, I, I you're really better than weird. both of us, Sean, apparently. <laughs> um, so Go my. in African literature in the uh, 1950s, 60s, and 70s, there was this big debate about who African literature was for. Mm, yeah, was it okay. for the metropole? Was it for, as in the colonizers? Or was it for Africans? Who is this sketch for? Is it for a white audience or a black audience or both? Does it matter? Who is the sketch for? Open question. I'm going to, I'm going to take a stab at this. I'm going to give it a shot. Risky. Yes, I am aware uh, of <laughs> the risks. Uh, we'll talk about that one later. Um, okay. So given who I would think was watching sketch comedy in that time period at that time of time of night, time of the week, and given the way the sketch went, I would say it was mostly for a white audience, but not intended to make us feel comfortable. I believe that was a a it was a targeted sketch. It was a pointed sketch, and it was meant to make uh, particularly uh, white Hollywood liberals take a look at what they were doing. Yeah, definitely, and that's that, that's definitely the read I got on it as well. Um, Mad TV, and it, it's it's one of those shows that's just it, it's it's a it's a response to SNL, where the whole reason for it was we're going to go harder than SNL, and we're going to do like we're talking about things that SNL won't talk about, and that's what this sketch was for me. It was like sort of giving black people sort of like a, the majority of that, of the, of the, of the people of that cast for that sketch was black, obviously. Yeah. And um, so it's just giving them a voice. Right. And, and then also um, just showing white people that, cause th 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 there is that trend that, that we always laugh about in the black community and in the Hispanic community, actually, actually any, any kind of, um, uh, any, any kind, any kind of race. We, I, I'm assuming they have this kind of thing too, where like a, a white person is trying to be down. Mm -hmm. And uh, end up falling into those traps. So it's like we're just making fun of white people trying to be down, and that's the. I want to say I, th I even think we have that in the white community. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same thing. Like in in Get Out, it's it's the same kind of white people that that mm -hmm. say out loud, "I would have loved to have voted for Obama a third time." I think there is some to some degree, uh, and also an aim at at the black audience because Matt TV really had a strong black cast at a good chunk through all its existence. So I yep. think there was a reliable black audience throughout. And I think a part of it was comedy for black people of. We're going to make fun of the fact that you've probably heard these kind of statements from the white people around you before. Yeah. So we're going to play it up and um, exaggerate it to really um, provide a sort of release, a catharsis for what you can't do in your workplaces uh, with the people that act like this around you. Does anyone have any more thoughts on this sketch? One of the things that I was wondering about it, about what you all think, is uh, this is a recurring sketch. Yeah. Um, it comes back. 
what makes recurring sketches recur? Like, why do why do we come back? Why do writers and why do performers come back to recurring sketches? Is it just because this is funny? Let's do it again. Or are there other factors at play? Uh, Sean, what do you think? I think it's where the the biggest jokes are in the formula, in the setup, in the premise. It's why you have things like Celebrity Jeopardy, where you can rotate in and out different cast members. There's maybe like one set person and then maybe a few types. And you can have jokes that help get you from point A to point B. But the main joke is that it's the formula. It's the structure. That's the main joke. And that's what makes it really work. What about character-driven bits like Stefan or SNL's Two A-Holes? Um, I don't know Two A-Holes. Um, but like Stefan, I think it's the same thing. It's it's part of the larger structure of Weekend Update. Um, the structure of it's not really about what he's saying. It's the premise that whatever Bill Hader has been rehearsing is not what's on the cards. So what he's reading is he's seeing for the first time. And he's trying to find a way to hide the fact that he's laughing out loud at what he has to read. And that creates that character. Absolutely. Does anyone else have any thoughts on this or the sketch in general? I was going to say, yeah. Another thing, too, is that with shows like this, like uh, SNL, Matt TV, and Living Color, there are live shows that are done weekly. It's uh, it's easy for writers to do. Like, it's just, you know, like it, once, once you're in the middle of a season and you're like kind of just have no ideas it's easy to just have that recurring sketch in your back pocket and just give the actors a chance to just do crazy characters i'm gonna be even somewhat more cynical than julian and think it also has to do with popularity if you have a character that breaks out then your producers want that character to show up as as much as you know they can without wearing out his or her welcome Mm -hmm. because people will turn in if they know that there's a new well, I'm going to date myself a little bit if they know that there's a new It's Pat sketch. <laughs> as long as it's not the movie. Right. I, I think that can be said of pretty much all SNL characters, yeah, with the definitely. exception of Wayne and Garth. MacGruber. Never saw the movie. Pretty good movie. MacGruber is a great movie. Okay that, great movie. <laughs> I was going to ask about, um, what do you guys think about, so the performances were really great, except I just didn't like Ari Spears' performance. Hmm. Like I, I think like so when when you, when you say that like because like, it's you can tell that he's yeah trying to uh, bring in people from his neighborhood to give them a chance to talk about issues that um, that uh, they, they might not normally be able to talk about and then bring in a a professor or like a knowledgeable person and and so like but his his delivery like the, the way he like delivers the line I can't remember that actor's name and it, it uh, Phil Lamar yes yeah yeah yeah. Okay, Phil Lamar. Yeah, it just his delivery just it, it didn't sell the fact that he was doing this, you know, or that he was getting frustrated with his character with his friends for saying crazy stuff. I like like see when that. they yeah, like, like like when they took um uh Bill Cosby's uh luggage. He's like, "Why, well, thank you, um tall, dark and skanky." Like yeah. he was he was obviously making fun of her and being like, you know, why would you do that? It's fucked up. Um but his delivery just wasn't it didn't come off that way. Yeah, I mean, I think the best use of Ari Spears in that sketch is in the in the banter in the beginning when you're building up the characters. Because there's another one of his uh, real motherfucking talk sketches, and I almost picked it. And I was actually talking to you guys about it, where it's the introduction where I actually don't know the two black guests that are on it. They're not cast members. Hmm. And I'm hard-pressed to find their names. And one of them is about how the guest, um, his number came up in the numbers that, that week. And so he was... He was making it rain, and so he was saying, "Well, you need to owe me. You owe me thirty dollars. I don't owe you thirty nothing." And he goes into a story about how he'd always give, give him a lap, 
bought him a lap dance with a stripper with the leg braces and the cigarette burns. Or um, a story about how this guy, they're talking, trying to talk about Enron, and the guest thinks that Enron is the neighbor's kid who he gives money to for the store. Um, and that's when his real anger comes out because it's the frustration, not of the failure of the talk show, the failure of the white token guest to stay in his lane, but the fact that he's trying to have a, a more intellectual discussion and the people he brings into it right off the bat are failing. This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows, workshops, and t-shirts for people who love comedy. All right, Julian, set us up with our next sketch for the evening. All right, uh, true to form, I brought something that is uh, makes people uncomfortable just to fuck with you guys. Um, so we said we're not going to do SNL sketches because people are probably tired of listening to us talk about fucking SNL. But uh, I was just randomly watching this um, episode. Uh, it's from this season with Will Ferrell, and I just happened upon this sketch, and it's it just really piqued my interest. Um, the sketches features uh, Will Ferrell, Beck, Beck Bennett, uh, Kate McKinnon, A.D. Bryant, Keenan Thompson, and it's called Dinner Discussion. And the discussion is the Aziz Ansari controversy or uh, scandal? I guess we can say scandal, right? Yeah. Sure. Um, and the, the characters, they grit their teeth and awkwardly try to get through the conversation without offending anyone. Uh, let's throw to a clip. Are you sure you want to do this? Yes, yes. I will speak on the topic of... Aziz, I'm sorry. I think... Careful. Yeah. I, I think that some women... Careful. Or, or rather, um, or some men have a proclivity. Careful. All right, Julian. How the fuck do you want us to talk about this one? Yeah, no. Carefully. Yeah. Carefully. <laughs> Easy now. Uh, e- EK was supposed to be here too, so sorry, Sean. That's you're not getting the women presence here. This is this is really problematic. Yeah, just a bunch yeah. of dudes. Dudes. Yeah. A microphone. She was <laughs> she was sick, folks. We we will have her back on. We're yeah. we're sorry. Um. So what piqued my interest about this sketch is that like it's it's people talking about something that they don't know how to talk about. Yeah. And so like as a like as you're writing it, it's like how do you how do you convey that? And how like how do you and first like how do you just get through it? And so, like, you know, what they do, and uh, I think that they're right to do, is they, like, they sort of internalize that. Like, like uh, how do you show internal conflict? That, that, that's, that's, that's the main thing that, I, that really piqued my interest. Like, how do you show internal conflict as a writer and then as an actor, too, right? And so I wanted to just get you guys to sort of feel on, like, what would you guys think? Was it funny? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think it was funny because it was incredibly relatable. Um, because I think we have all tried to have these conversations about sensitive topics where, you know, especially as someone, you know, speaking as a straight white man, don't forget cis, man, cis man. Um, I am all of those things, you know, things happen and I have opinions on them and I have thoughts on them. Um, but then sometimes you feel like, well, I don't have a, I don't have a right to share this opinion or I don't have the appropriate voice to share this opinion. And so when those things come up in polite conversation, 
you know, you get into a situation where you're trying to hem and haw and to say something without even saying something. And I, I think that's what this sketch does so well is the characters try to say a lot and end up saying nothing. Yeah. And and so, and, and also like, it also brings up, so it brings up sort of three things for me. It's like, there's, uh, there's two sides of this issue with Aziz Ansari. People saying that it's just a bad night and the, he shouldn't be demonized for it. And then there's people saying that it's sexual assault. But then it also brings up this thing of political correctness. And if you read any kind of YouTube comment section, there's like people why, saying- Why? <laughs> why would you do that? Mm-hmm. People are saying like, oh, we shouldn't be walking on eggshells. Like society is like taking, society's going to shit, you know? And so it, 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 it plays with those three things really well. Mm-hmm. And so like, as like, like, like how, how, how now, and, and, and uh, to speak more to your point too, is like, how now do we live in a PC world? How many listeners can I offend, guys? <laughs> how many listeners do I have? All right, that's right. Well, I, I'm it sorry. It can only the, go up. The somewhere between, well, excluding the entire rest of Bad Medicine, the somewhere between three to 10 of you, uh, friends and family members whom we've guilted into doing this, uh, I really have yet to see political correctness used in a sense other than I used to get to say mean things about people and I don't anymore and that makes me angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think one of the uh, one of the other examples that I've seen is people, uh, the whole uh, happy holidays issues. Uh, the war on oh, Christmas. Yes. The war on Christmas. <laughs> Let's, I'll be short. I'm not going to go off to because getting away from the point, but um, Okay. Speaking as a person of Jewish heritage, Hanukkah usually occurs around that time. And speaking as somebody who's mostly secular, so does New Year's. There, there are two holidays, two big holidays. Uh, Kwanzaa. It, uh, Kwanzaa, yes. <laughs> with Kwanzaa, uh, in, with the, right, I celebrate mind. Kwanzaa. In, I'm half black, by the way. In the, uh, <laughs> in the, in another <laughs> context. Yeah, no, I, but actually, yeah. We, we probably should have clarified that too <laughs> probably earlier. Probably need to. In an, well, anyone in, who's not white on this show needs to uh, <laughs> identify <laughs> themselves. That's, I, I also want to say that it. I assume we wait until the end uh, when you use uh, uh, the the number of n words to rate a particular <laughs> sketch. The other thing I was going to say, just really quick, uh, the winter solstice super important to people in the northern hemisphere. A lot of people uh, had some important holiday around that for thousands and thousands of years before Christianity showed up. So anyway. Um, political correctness seems to me always, always to be like, why can't we go back to the status quo when white dudes could pretty much say anything they wanted and never got any, uh, flack for it. I yearn for a time when, uh, white men had all the power rather than just most of it. But yeah. I think there's more dimensions to it. I mean, I definitely agree that they're complaining about political correctness is to an extent people that want to discriminate, want to feel like they can say that again. I think part of it may be an anxiety among those same people that they feel very confused and defensive when they're not up to date on the correct term mm. and they don't like being corrected where like um, um, like my mom does a lot of work with special needs kids and I don't always know what to call what the proper word is. Like, you know, 10 years ago it was retarded, then it was handicapped, then disabled. It was not retarded 10 years ago. I can guarantee <laughs> I, yeah, I'm getting the timeline. Sorry. The point is that that was, a word, that was a word that was acceptably used a long time ago. And the thing is, if you're not up to date, you can feel almost, not offended, but you can feel like you're on the defensive because you feel like you made a misstep by not knowing the correct term. And that's not to excuse the people that use it as a re- reason to discriminate. But I think that's one reason why people complain about political correctness is it's sort of a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, crap, I didn't know what that one was. But I think the heart of the sketch is, um, like you said, Julian, about walking on eggshells. It's it's the relatability problem of 
We want to be able to express our opinions. We're so worried about offending people. But it's also the absurdity of this problem of not just that people are so afraid to share their opinions, but that it's also a problem of it's easy for us to criticize because almost everybody that could possibly weigh in this issue, except for the two people involved in it, don't have the full information. And it's, I read this article in the New York Times about, I read this article and so-and-so about it. And acting like because you read that one article, now you're the expert on this situation. So it's the absurdity of who are you to really weigh in on it unless it's just your individual opinion about what you think happened and not sort of saying like, the well, because I read this, I have the more expansive view. Um, sure. The reality is what they're just trying to say is if people just expressed themselves and didn't have assumptions about encounters they had of a romantic or sexual nature and didn't make assumptions about the other person, made clear that they always needed express consent, both to be given and taken, then you would have better encounters. And the problem is that there's just a lot of heft and a lot of baggage in those interactions. And the, what makes this sketch work about this particular scandal is that there's a lot of gray area, more so than with a lot of other contemporary scandals that were more clear, more one-sided. So the joke is sure. the fact that this is so gray. Yeah. And let's get into the the nitty-gritty of the sketch a little bit. Uh, one of the things that plays heavily into the sketch uh, is the lighting and sound design. Um, it really plays a critical role in turning what is a normal conversation into a slightly surreal moment. What does that lighting effect add, and how does it heighten the sketch, Seth? Or does it heighten the sketch? I no, I think it does. I think, in fact, it, it it's a it's a really it sets up the joke in a way that not having the lighting effect wouldn't. And what it does, it's sort of the almost um, like noir effect where everything else gets dark and you see a light sort of uh, on the characters' faces themselves. So it's it's like oh, it's a tense moment, it's a dangerous moment, it's a suspenseful moment. And really, the suspense is like, are we actually going to talk about what's going on? And uh, the joke from there is that one character attempts to, while the other person, that person's partner in the scene, just says, careful, slow down, what are you doing? Like that kind of thing. And it's uh, that actually I think is really effective. Yeah, and it's also what the lighting does too is it calls out the unusual thing for the audience. So like if they were just, just suddenly just started stabbing themselves as Keenan does or like, you know, doing all those things, like it, it would be kind of, it, it would look kind of weird to an audience member. So like the lighting just kind of it it creates the tone and then it also um illustrates like the the struggle like the internal struggle that they're having. And uh, that and that that's the, that's the key to the whole sketch is like how do you portray internal struggle? Yeah, I think that I think that really gets to the heart of it. And there are a lot of characters having internal struggles in this sketch. There are six characters in the sketch, but there isn't a lot of difference between the characters. That's a lot of characters in a sketch to really have them be essentially all the same character for the most part. And maybe, maybe you disagree on that and please, please say if you do, but uh, why does that work? This sketch doesn't feel tired to me, at least, even though it's basically six people having the same internal struggle. Julian. Yeah. And I think, I think what they were really trying to do is like, you don't want to make them too vast, uh, vastly different characters because like what the sketch is trying to do is show like the every man kind of perspective on the, like th these are just normal people having a normal conversation and their, their, their views are, are reflecting what normal people are feeling. Like where, um, Beck Bennett says, well, if she was, if she didn't want to be there she, or she didn't want any of this to happen, she should have just left. Right. And then 
Keenan's also saying, well, this kind of ties into race. And then Kate's like, well, you know, if, if, if I'm with someone and they're not into it, I'm just going to chill, like just not do anything. Right. So they, they, these are all like, these are all normal people's views. Right. And so they, they don't want them to be like sort of that drastically different because that's what they're trying to portray. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, Sean, could this be a returning sketch that covers other topics that make us uncomfortable? I don't think so, because I think the structure is not the joke. I think the joke is the sort of reactions of people. Like you said, the, the characters are not that distinguished from each other, because that's the point, is that it's very relatable. We could be any one of those people, depending on what our experiences are. Um, if you were to do this again about a different issue, it would just be the same thing. You'd The only thing you could really do to heighten what's happening are the various gags of how each person is trying to escape, but you already have hiding behind a little mini stage to cover Kate McKinnon's face and um, Heidi doing witchcraft to actually disappear. That was so, delightful. So yeah. I don't know what else you could do to heighten that. That's the only thing you can really play with. Everything else is just going careful. Uh, and Seth, uh, does this sketch transcend other sketches that are tied to a specific cultural moment? And do you think this will hold up in five years or ten years? That's an interesting question. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, my thought is yes, because race has always been something that, sorry, not always, but certainly since I've been alive, race is something that America has been very, very uh, hesitant to discuss. So I think that by, and I, I realize that's Keenan's beat at the end, but bringing that in, uh, that is that is always going to be something that people go, oh, yeah, exactly. And since we're currently in the uh, the Me Too era, I I think when you when you look back at this sort of cultural watershed, that's going to make the the bulk of the sketch. Everybody's going to be like, oh yeah, because in the past when there were sex scandals, they were never probably they were never accurately portrayed in the light that they're currently being portrayed. Uh, so it was easier to just come out with a, oh, she shouldn't have, or, oh, you know, uh, boys being boys, but now it's like, oh, no, this is assault, and this is really terrible, so, yeah. Yeah, look at the SNL's treatment of Clinton. It, it didn't really even yeah. focus on what happened between Clinton and Lewinsky or him leveraging his power. It was mostly John Goodman dressing up as Linda Tripp to be like, look at this person. So yeah. it wasn't really about the substance of what had happened. It was just trying to play up the characters as some kind of stereotype or something else that they can make fun of because they didn't, Either they didn't want to, or they didn't think that there was anything to mine in the in the affair itself. Well, I mean, see, that's the thing is that at the time, like nobody nobody questioned it. It was just Bill likes to have Bill likes women and Bill likes to have affairs, and that's all we got. Like, I mean, one of the one of the lines that I remember is uh, the late great Phil Hartman doing the McDonald's sketch, and uh, <laughs> like Kevin Nealon is one of the Secret Service agents. It's like, all right, we won't tell Mrs. Clinton, and he's like, boys, there's a lot of things we're not going to tell Mrs. Clinton, you know, and that was. It's a great impression. Thank you. That was, you know, but but that was that was like it. It was a throwaway line in a sketch about Bill eating everybody's fast food. We're off his jogging route. Yeah, yeah, and so and that's what that's what this sketch to me does so well is that like it's a straight man sketch. Every character is the straight man in this in this in this sketch, and so like one of my one of my things that I'm always like I'm always looking for when I see a straight man sketch is like. How how do you keep the characters there? Like what what stops like what like how are you stopping them from just leaving or or ending the conversation? But they want to leave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they, they do want to leave. Yeah, exactly. They do want to leave. And, and but 
how they do it was because because now we're living in this era where like we not only do we have to talk about it like we need to talk about it yeah and so mm-hmm. that's that's what keeps them engaged keeps them going through this conversation right Will Ferrell when he said when 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 it's first introduced everyone's like oh fuck mm-hmm. um, and then Will Ferrell's like you know what we 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 are gonna, we we should talk about this and then. And then halfway through, it's like, we're all adults. A.D. Bryant's like, we're all adults. We can do this. And then Kate McKinnon's like, yeah, we, you know, we did, we, um, we're we living in a post-babe.net world. We can't go back to it. Great joke. Yeah, what so great. What makes me doubt the longevity of this sketch, though, is the open question whether or not Aziz Ansari is going to be some, something that people remember in five or ten years. I mean, I think I haven't heard much from him. I mean, he, he's probably sort of in exile at the moment, but whether or not he makes any kind of a comeback or resurgence, that really depends on things. But other people are happy to take his place in an otherwise sort of maybe saturated market. I don't this this may not last only because people are going to see this again and think, who the hell is Aziz Anzari? They might. I think he's going to come back. I my actual opinion is that there there's going to be a a redemption arc, whether real or or not, for most of the Mel Gibson can come back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if if you know Richard Nixon could come back anyway. Did he? Stunning news out of Yorville today. <laughs> Cheryl Ford. Ford. <laughs> Ford. Ford. I think he's like so. He's like like what Gerald like his Aziz's staying power is like. It's not. I don't think that's really up for debate. I, I don't. I don't really see him going away. Yeah, really, I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, mm. but like, is like, uh, that what 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 this sketch kind of plays on too, and what the sort of the story kind of plays on is that like. You know, this is his set. It's a lot of people see this encounter as like just sort of a bad night. Like it's not like it's not like a, it wasn't assault, but it was just a bad night. I feel like we're about to have the conversation now. <laughs> yeah. That's why know. we're ending the segment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time for the rating the sketch sketches section of the show. Uh, Sean, as the guest. Could you come up with some kind of rating system, maybe based on the sketches that we talked about, to uh, careful rate the sketches that we talked about today? Um, so do I use the same metric for both, or can I use different ones for each? Generally, the same metric for both, but if you've got a good idea, we can do a different one for each. Um, well, I mean, I was for real motherfucking talk, I was just going to do dollar bills, but I think something that would probably bring both of them in together, I'd say I would give real motherfucking talk four out of five snowflakes. Mm. And uh, for the the dinner conversation, I would probably give that three and a half snowflakes. Is are you trying to have a high number of snowflakes? Um, I mean, it's out of a scale of five. I mean, we can a snowflake looks kind of like a star, so it's more like just the general like jab of it being a snowflake. I think is enough so that we yeah. you want more snowflakes. I see. Everyone loves snow. You make is snow, is make snowflakes snow in reference to white people, or is it just? Um, I think it's more in the <laughs> Seth, way that like Seth just perked up. Like, yeah. <laughs> white people? Well, that's, Why, that's me. <laughs> no, you you're not because you didn't say white people. No, I'm sorry. White people. Are we gonna say, are we gonna say Gerald Ford again? <laughs> <laughs> Gerald Ford. <laughs> All right. Uh Seth, how many snowflakes would you Senseless give? Age. Uh would you give real motherfucking talk? Um oh, that is a good question. Let's see. Uh, I think I'm going to give that one, you know, I will also go with four out of five, but I'm going to give the conversation 
Six out of five, except Whoa. they're all identical. There you go. Wow. They're like, all the same. They're all the same. There you go. Uh, I would give a real father, my, real father mucking talk mm-hmm. uh, two and a half stars. Um, Sean, you definitely raised my opinion of it, uh, the way you framed Aries Spears' character. So good on you. Sweet. Um, I would give dinner discussion four stars. I enjoyed how uncomfortable it made me feel. I found it to be very, uh, accurate. And Julian, how many snowflakes would you give, uh, these sketches? Or are you just going to throw the scale out the window? I will probably, fl- no, nah, I'm actually going to stay. It depends because now, because this time I actually wasn't listening or paying attention to the, the, the scaling. Oh, good. <laughs> it's um, snowflakes. Yeah, I know it's snowflakes, but like is, are the least amount of snowflakes good or is it the, is it four out of five? It's, it, it would be, I believe five out of five would be positive. Imagine them like stars, but in this, in I mean, this situation, do what you want and just, just back up whatever it is your rating is, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, if you that's think one is thing. good yeah, or yeah, five right, is exactly. good, just, just state yeah. it and stay what and say why. Yeah, you really not a context up, everything. Sean. Shit. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, so like, uh, all right. Um, so uh, for uh, real motherfucking talk, um, I will give it um, enough snowflakes to <laughs> that everyone's happy to 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 cover a uh, football field. Oh, um, because like, uh, and because like the acting was so good. Aside from, I, I feel Ari Spears. Lamar mm. and um, uh, Danielle after- Gaither, the other one, also just very criminally underrated mm. cast member. Yeah, and then for dinner discussion, uh, just for dinner discussion, just for it was it was it was great as a sketch on its own, but also opened up the discussion too for for the audience and the rest of us. Um, I'm going to give it enough snowflakes to cover the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> Well more than five. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds. A special thanks to our guest, Sean Robinson, for being on today's show. Sean, where can our listeners find more of what you do on the internet or elsewhere? Um, I use mostly Where do you work? I work (laughs) at... (laughs) Where can we find you on the internet, Sean? Um, Well, my Twitter is mostly used for complaining at people, but it's uh, at arb underscore delish. I actually don't good. remember what my own Twitter handle is. On Instagram, I'm at arbitrary and delicious. Arbitrary and delicious. If you're in the legal industry, that's fucking funny and clever. Good. Pat yourself on the back again, Sean. Listeners, please like, share, and subscribe. If you have a sketch that you are interested in us breaking down, please send it to us. We'd love to do that. You can find out more about Sketch Nerds and Bad Medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds where you can also find links to the sketches that we discussed today. You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For Sean Robinson, Seth Alcorn, Julian Morgan, I'm Andy Welb. Thanks for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, Fair Use Exemption, for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit badmedicinecomedy.com.